morning. It's my honor to introduce Phil Pearson. This last week, I, I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking, how do I introduce such a man? And uh, it may be best to just let him introduce himself, but let me say just a couple of things. We all know each other in different settings. Uh, at church, socially, in a family, at work, there's a, a myriad of settings. I have known and watched Phil for just about 43 years in all of those settings. He's a man of God. And he has a testimony. And I look forward to hearing his testimony again. I heard it maybe um, a year and a half, two years ago, maybe something. When, okay. And uh, it's... It's right from what God wants you to hear and for me to hear again. So, Phil, come on up. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. Uh, just one thing before, before I introduce my family. I have an accent. We'll learn more about that accent. and. You may uh, hear me speak uh, a bit slowly, and uh, again, I can't uh, speak uh, words that have uh, too many syllables, so uh, you will learn more about that. But uh, uh, speaking of John, um, there's, I will have my message will be full of grace, but I think of a time that uh, we experienced no, well, that too, but um, you were driving Ancient Four. Uh, Ancient Four is in Bellevue Fire, and it's uh, south of uh, I-90 and east of Interstate 405. So the hill that you see south of Bellevue rises up, and it goes to Issaquah, becomes uh, Cougar Mountain, uh, Squat Mountain, and Tiger Mountain. But this area, the hill, is Somerset. And John was driving, and uh, both of us drove, but he was driving this day. I loved driving, except for snowing and icy conditions. The engine raised maybe twenty to 30,000 pounds, and even chains, it's hard to stop. And John was driving at the top of Somerset, going down, and he was going too fast. <laughs> and I was thinking the bulkhead that separated us was outside for me. And I looked and saw the road and I thought, we're going to crash. And I thought, if I jumped out, I will be hurt. If I trash, we'll be hurt. It was a, a hard time. And just around the corner, it's true, a sunbeam was on the road and melted about 30 feet of snow and ice. And John hammered the brakes, slowed down enough to uh, get control of the engine. Do you remember that? I remember Captain Crippen <laughs> well, sitting in the other seat. That's what I remember. It was a toboggan. 
Anyways, I saw a sunbeam meddling three feet of snow and ice to save us. That was grace. So anyways, John, thank you for the interpretation. I will introduce myself and... Not yet. Yeah, you can sit down and we'll uh, call you. Who's in charge? My uh, wife is not here, but I've been married for 42 years. Uh, we got married the, the uh, day before Mount St. Helens erupted. So um, I have three daughters. Um, uh, one is here. Uh, this is my youngest daughter, Maddie, and her husband is Connor. Can you wave? <laughs> I have four grandkids uh, for my stud, uh, second daughter, and um, they live 200 feet from us, so we see them all the time. Uh, my oldest daughter uh, lives in Seattle, but uh, my oldest and youngest daughter are pregnant. So uh, I'm delighted to have two more uh, grandkids. Uh, so we'll have six uh, grandkids in time. So uh, anyways, thank you for being here. Uh, I will, uh, my Matt test is uh, Psalm 30. But to introduce that uh, psalm, um, I, I want to uh, get of a history of um, that psalm, but uh, in order to impact you more, um, there's different things of uh, psalms that you can focus on. The psalms are the word of God, so you can be informed on God's word and is um, called out in the New Testament over and over again. So it's a word of God, but uh, it also uh, tells you of the uh, Messiah. So you can fill your brain with things of Messiah. So you can get that from Psalms. It tells you how to worship God, uh, the Muslims. But Psalms are songs, too. And... When you sing a song that is deeply emotional, that's what I want to focus on, on Psalms 30. And to further emphasize that, I will tell you, just refer to a number of songs that have deep impact on me and maybe you too. One song that you may know is Well With My Soul. Uh, that was written in the 1870s by Horatio and uh, Anna. Uh, um, they uh, suffered, and they were ministering to a, um, a Moody. They were in the time of Dwight uh, Moody, and they had, had a lot of money, but their son died of the disease, and at that same time, in two years, the Chicago fire destroyed all their holdings, their material wealth. And Horatio sent his other four daughters to Europe and his wife. They hit a ship and sank 
They all died, but his wife was alive. When he went to uh, meet his wife, they stopped at the uh, site where the uh, bull sank, and he wrote that psalm as well with my soul. Anyways, uh, the uh, comfort and the hope that that song, the hymn, gives uh, means something to me. You may know of another song, Amazing Grace. And uh, John Newton, if you know him, was a slave trailer that uh, sailed from Europe to the U.S. to um, have slaves uh, coming to uh, be enslaved. And he got, uh, became a Christian, but uh, he wrote this song, Amazing Grace, but the melody, you may not know about the melody, the melody, I heard this from a black guy who uh, sang songs at uh, Billy Graham uh, Crusades. And if you know the uh, keyboard of uh, a piano, white and black keys, the, uh, the uh, neutral spirituals have the black keys. They not, the notes are not from the right keys, it's the black keys. And he said... Someone, some slave on the ship, sang that song or hummed that song. And he sang that song, the Billy Run guy, he hummed the melody as the waves were crashing into the boat and sang Amazing Grace. That's his, my soul, if you hear that. And you know the history of that song is amazing. Psalm 30 is like that. So we'll study Psalm 30. And this psalm was for David a testimony, a dedication to the temple. It was not built yet. But he dedicated that psalm to the temple. But he gives uh, gives a personal history of David. It's hard to understand unless you go back and see the history of uh, David. So um, my presentation today will uh, be a history first of Psalm 30. We'll read Psalm 30 with uh, uh, John uh, assisting me. We'll pray, and then I will give you my testimony in light of Psalm 30. So uh, again, we'll uh, do uh, Psalm 30. David um, was anointed to be king because Saul, the first king of uh, Israel, was disobedient. And Saul, uh, David was anointed king Sorry, my Apple Watch. Uh, David was anointed to be a king at a young age. He was overlooked by all the other brothers. Uh, his father, Jesse, had seven brothers that was uh, brought before Samuel, the prophet. And Samuel was going to anoint with oil the next king. And all the people came before him. And he was not, no one was there that was meant to be anointed. 
David came from a family that is really interesting. So I want to look back. David came from the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. We were studying in Sunday school, Judges. I went down to uh, Sunday school before I came up here. And we talked about how, how far away the nation was for uh, God and his plan. But Ruth and Boaz were amazing. That family was dedicated to serving God. David was the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz, but seven guys, the older brothers, paraded for Samuel, and the first one was a stud. And Samuel said, this is the one. And God said, no, this is not the one. And the sons paraded in front the middle one, if you know history, later after David fought Goliath, the middle son fought another giant. You can read it. Six fingers on his sands, six coals. He killed another giant. He was a stud too, but he was not the one. David had seven brothers and two sisters. One sister was called Sariah. She was the mom of Joab and his two brothers. They were leaders in the army of God. The same family, if you wanted to have a pro football team and 11 guys, eight brothers of Jesse and the sons of Sariah, you would not win that battle. I know the two Isopos. Do you know them? If they're family? Mando was a tight end for the Seattle Seahawks. He, uh, he had numerous sons and daughters. They were all amazing athletes. They went to the University of Washington. My daughter, oldest daughter, um, was the same year of, uh, as Marcus. We saw them play Woodenfield High School, University of uh, Washington, and go on to the uh, pros. They were, uh, they, the other brothers were pro baseball players. They all went to the University of Washington. The, I think the athletic... The athletic director said, any two isosopos to go have an automatic ship. That's the family. Well, David was like that. But he was overlooked until, go get him. So, immediately he started to, to serve Saul. He was a musician. Saul was a rebel against God. He did the morals, the evil morals of Israelites. And David sang songs to ease him. Finally, David came and saw Goliath. They were warring against him. And although 
the lineage of David was a stud, he was young. He was not yet old enough. He may have been a you know, freshman or sophomore in college that age, 14, 15. I was 140 pounds when I entered the high school. I played uh, football. But guys go up really fast. I was good in middle school, but guys hit me, and I was seeing stars. 200-pound guy, bam. They go up really big in high school. Well, David was a young guy. You're not old enough. But he warred Goliath and won. He started to serve Saul more and more. In fact, he married into the family. He's best friends with Jonathan. But evil came but Saul because he was rejected. The women sang a song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, tens of thousands. He knew right then David is going to be king. And he tried to kill him again and again and again. David was a servant, all servant to Saul. But Saul was insecure of his kingly role. And David did an amazing thing. Instead of serving Saul and letting God be sovereign, he fled. And get this. He fled to the Philistines, the one that Israel was going to war against, and he had no weapon. Israel, if you know the history, they didn't have metal. So they had sticks and javelins, but no metal. So he went to a priest, give me a weapon. Well, when he killed Goliath, he gave Goliath's sword to the priest. The priest gave him Goliath's sword. So he hauled around that giant sword and went to, you get this, on the Philistine's country to Gath. Gath, the city, is where Goliath was from. And he went to get refuge before the king of Gath. To make a comparison, Osama bin Laden, you know that he was warring against the U.S., and the Navy SEALs killed him. It's like the SEAL, if the SEAL did something wrong with the U.S. government going to the Taliban to get help and taking Osama bin Laden's favorite grunt and say, I need help. To make another comparison, I super-dived a lot, is going into a cage and watching great white sharks. And the great white shark comes in to the cage. You're dead. You're dead. And this, the Philistine guard said, is this David? 
the one whose Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, he's dead. This is a turning point. Evil. What have I done? He forgot God, his sovereign God. He did an act that was foolish. The knife was at his throat. God said, I will make you a king. He forgot. We can all live and die today. But live good and die good. But that act that he did was not a good life or death story. He forgot God. So to get away, the only sickness that I know that David had was he faked insanity. He crawled, <laughs> spit, ran down his beard. And the king said, get him out of here. Well, the time that passed, I'm sure David thought about a sovereign God. And it was King Saul, he acted totally different. He ran when Saul was going to kill him again, and his nephews, Joab, Asahel, and his other brother, when he saw Saul asleep, David, I can't get this. I will pin it. I won't try twice. And David said, don't kill the Lord's anointed. He had the sovereign thing about God. No, God will take care of this. If you know that history, then when you look at the Psalm 30, I think it will be more sensible. So, John, can you read with me? I will read the tarp part. This is my idea of the psalm, the verses, and my prayer to God when I get trouble. Interdressing to my psalm, I remember my troublesome history and your amazing grace. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes, rejo my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. I forgot your hope when I saw trouble. Have mercy, I didn't see your grace. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. For time, you seem to be absent from me. Why is this trouble affecting me? As for me, I said in, in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. 
By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. You don't owe me anything, but I pray for your mercy and grace. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. When you see his grace, give it thanks. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let us pray. Father God, as I give my testimony, no one will remember that testimony, maybe my name, but I want most of all to have these people remember one thing. When they see God's grace, give him thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. You can turn off the screen. I uh, became a Christian in Alaska. Um, my hope um, was not to be a Christian. I, I hated cold weather. And I wanted to go back and sail to Tahiti. I wanted to be a, a small boat uh, sailor and be around the water. I am... Um, my friend Dwayne Campbell is here, and he can testify that I grew up from 12 to right now talking about sailing, diving, going around the sea. I had a chance to be in the Coast Guard Academy. That was smart, but I was so impatient that I didn't want to go to school for four years and for, uh, serve for five more years before I could get out and sail. So I just went, hitchhiked to the sailboats. Dwayne uh, saw me. We talked about diving all the time. And he went with me to Alaska, and we hitchhiked together. But uh, no one will pick up two guys so we went separately uh, to Alaska on uh, separate uh, boats or um, uh, cars. So uh, we met at almost the same time to a, a friend's house. But in that time that I was in Alaska, he left, and I had to get enough money, just dollars, to uh, go down to the boats. I met Christ, and I was terrified of the image of his judgment, I, I realized that I was uh, a sinner and I was terrified of him and he gave me grace, forgave me. But I didn't understand it. I, I had, what just happened to me? So I stayed in Alaska for three years, uh, working jobs, but pouring myself into studying the word. I've played tapes uh, 
all the time. I didn't listen to music. I studied instruments for three years. At that time, I made amendments to my adventure, and I said, I, I need a vocation. So I went down to Seattle and studied to be a commercial diver at uh, Ballard, Darvish Institute of Technology. And I uh, was training and uh, passed a course, and they wanted me to go to the Gulf of Mexico uh, to do a diving. But I thought, I'm, I need an amendment to my vocation because I've, I go to the Gulf, it's like the Wild West. They have no rules, they have uh, no uh, care of anything, uh, money, brothels, you know, I didn't want that. So I stayed in Seattle, and uh, I became a welder in a shipyard and, and a diver too. But they wanted to send me to other places. And the church and the word of God meant two minutes to me, so I made a, an, another amendment and joined the fire department uh, that uh, allowed me to stay in Seattle. And uh, I, John, uh, John was in uh, Ritchie School with me in 1979. That's when I joined the uh, fire department in Bellevue. In time, the pastor of the church that I was going to, uh, after about nine years, he asked me to be a pastor for counseling. So I retired from the fire department. If I can do more in the uh, arena of pastoring, I will do it. That pastor committed adultery, and my role failed. Uh, the church did a, a different thing. So after five years, um, I had to go back, and I tried to go back to my, my vocation as a firefighter. In a year, I had to do it all over again, all the testing, all the uh, things. So I, this year, I was a welder and a diver before I got into the fire department again. In time, I, uh, when I got back, I became a paramedic. I trained in Seattle to be a paramedic and came back to Bellevue. Uh, 18 years as a paramedic and a firefighter. And then uh, I had a, a second job. I uh, taught first aid. So my role, uh, my vocation was full. I, I did uh, paramedics, and then I taught first aid. I have had the three daughters. I was, my life was full. And an unwanted thing happened uh, after 18 years of being a paramedic. I taught uh, three days in Portland to a first aid, came back to um, my house. I ate dinner with my daughter, Maddie, and my wife went to bed, and I woke thinking I slept wrong on my arm. It stepped in the early mornings. I went to the bathroom, and my leg gave away. I tripped over my wife's curlers, broke them in pieces. Instead of picking them up, I crawled back to bed. I thought, man, that was a really hard night. I teach first aid, and I always say, if you have the disease, never listen 
to the guy that has the disease, he will always deny it. So I didn't believe that I was having an issue. So my wife and daughter woke up, left the house. I woke up and it was a really hard night, I was thinking. So I went out to clean my trailer and now I have a, an alarm system for intruders. I forgot that uh, I opened the door, the alarm uh, was beeping. I have to press the code. I forgot the code. So uh, I thought, well, I, I can't remember. I had to call, so I just hope that uh, it will go off fast. And went outside, cleaned up my trailer, and a sheriff came by. And uh, I went to, over to talk to him, and I realized because... I had a stroke when I couldn't speak anything. So I pointed to his tablet to write it, and he gave me the tablet, and I lost my writing. So no speech, no writing. So he had his hand on the gun, get down. It's St. Paddy's Day on 2011. It was cold out, and it was freezing on my back. He didn't know. He thought I was stealing the trailer. He called the number. He saw my ID, Bellevue Fire. He called, and a medic answered. It sounds like Phil, and he can't talk. Did he call 911? He hung up his cell phone, called 911, but the time was too late. At that time, three hours, they can give you a drug, and that was the answer for me if the time was right, but it was at night. No one knew. So they didn't push the drug. I had trouble, real trouble. How bad was that stroke? Well, I saw one therapist and she said to me, it's not amnesia. It's not the pathways that uh, you forgot, and if you get uh, connected, you will speak again. It won't work that way. Your brain cells on the speech died. You can't not speak at that place in your brain, and your writing is dead. If you want to speak again, you have to pick a different part of your brain. I can think, if for you, maybe let's, like me, I thought, well, I think it's the same place. It's not. That part of your brain that thinks and the part of your brain that speaks is two different spots. I couldn't speak. I had to learn again like a kid. A, A, B, B, C, C. That's bad news, but my daughter gave me no hope. The neurological doctor, I was a number, not a name. My own personal daughter, I had a follow-up session 
He tried to talk me out of being a firefighter and indicated I want to go back to firefighting. And he said, I think he took a half an hour. He passed appointments to talk to me for at least, I think, a half an hour to try to talk me out of being a firefighter. He's no longer my doctor. <laughs> I had no hope. The fire department is, um, the people in the fire department that are operational, the firefighters, have a union all over the nations. It's called the International um, Association of Firefighters. It's an IA. IAFF Union, there was no history of anyone that had a stroke that lost their speaking, writing, they came back in New York, in Miami, in Chicago, in Denver, in Seattle, or Bellevue. Well, the city, come on, we have to think about our work. I was in deep trouble. Then, the grace of God. I had four angels that uh, came to me, but uh, again, the thought of Psalm 30, it was in, again, uh, again, my mind, I was in hell. I couldn't speak. I couldn't write. Maybe welding, I can go back to welding, just be issued a job, but my vocation was firefighting. I wanted to be a medic and a firefighter. People do foolish things. They can't get angry. They can't get abusive. They can't think of suicide. But I knew I saw on God. I pray for mercy. If you know grace and mercy, the definition, if you say you have to do this, you don't understand grace or mercy. It's his favor. I can die, and a good death is not bad. A good life is not bad, but to be depressed or suicide is not God's will. I freed for mercy and grace. Four angels. The first angel was Dr. Copus. Let me tell you a bit about uh, Dr. Copus. I, if you know Dr. Copus, he's not a Christian. And the angels that had were not heavenly beings, but they were people that had no business doing what they did to me. It didn't make sense what they did to me. That's what I call an angel. Dr. Copus was the ER doctor for Harborview for at least 40 years before he retired. That's a level one trauma center, five states send their uh, trauma visions to Harborview. He was also a professor teaching uh, UW 
professor teaching doctors how to do ER stuff, emergency room doctor stuff. He was also the head of Airlift Northwest. If you see a helicopter or a plane that's painted white with red finish, that's Airlift helicopters. They're treating trauma victims. He was also my mentor for paramedic medicine. Until he retired, he trained all of the paramedics in Seattle and all of King County and other places. If anybody knew medicine, it was him. He was my mentor. But the time, if you wanted to have time with Dr. Copas, let me give you an example. In the mid-90s, the level failed for Medic 1. If the level fails, the tax for the Medic 1, if it fails, no levy, no medics. Of all the King Candy, if the medic drops up, there's no medic program. Well, I thought he will have an interest in that, and I had an idea. Uh, I wanted to have a live TV program, had, uh, have different jurisdictions of King Gandhi medics, and have live TV, uh, live TV, and I needed a helicopter. I presented that to him. I was allowed 15 to 30 seconds to uh, explain that, write it out. He accepted. He spent read the reading. He bought it. Go ahead, have a helicopter. You can do the TV. 15 to 30 seconds. He came to me when I had the stroke. I was at uh, Every Green Hospital. He left Harborview with his busy schedule, came to me. I said, I want to be your doctor. In addition, he was also a neurologist. So all the things that he covered, he would seven days a week, I think 12 hours a day. He never slept. I, again, at night he was on the radio. It was amazing. He wanted to be my doctor. What? Why are you doing this? Well, I accepted. <laughs> if you want to have a doctor, it's him. I went through almost a hundred speech therapy times. And the one thing he wanted me to do was, was sing. So I had a list of hymns, words, and music, and he wanted me to sing. The only thing that I didn't do to a doctor C, I, I call Dr. Copus Dr. C, was sing for him. He could kill me, but I won't sing for him. <laughs> he didn't look you in the eyes. He looked down. If he caught you eye to eye, you were dead. <laughs> so he'd look down. Okay. He accepted. We'll come back to the first angel, Dr. Sieg. The second angel was Dr. Demopoulos. Copus wanted to have me solve the stroke uh, issue. It was caused by a PFO. Your heart, when you're not born, bypasses two chambers of your heart. 
And uh, when you cry, it's closer than that window, and all four chambers of your heart works. Well, unknown to me, it was always open. I did sports. I was uh, did uh, triathlon lines. I, with Dwayne, we have spent miles and miles swimming. I never knew my window was open. He went to Tsavut, so he sent me to a daughter, uh, to Marbolas. Normally, they cut your chest open, open your chest, and fix the issue. But he had a great idea. He said, I will go through the arteries up into your heart. We'll not mess with your, your ribs. It will do it like a heart attack stent. It will take 20 minutes. You can walk you out of the hospital. We'll rip it. It's a, a ribbit on the septum. We'll fix it just like that. And it happened. I was conscious on the whole surgery, and he did it. Afterwards, because it was new procedure, the insurance company denied the insurance. Trust me, it was a huge sum. Well, again, the job was almost like this. The medical bills was sad. I had a house. I had um, student loans from my co-signing on my daughter. I was going to go bankrupt. We had all the forms signed, and I was just about to sign it. I couldn't find the lawyer that did the bankruptcy. I still can't find him. We were going to sign, and he vanished. Email, call, just vanished. The third angel. By the way, Dr. Demopola said, if you fail, I will do the cost for free. What? He's a stranger, and he will do it for free? If you see God's grace... Giving thanks. Well, the third angel was a gal. She was a lawyer called Terry Justice. I like that last name, Justice. She was a lawyer lawyer for people that were denied medical claims. She heard about my story from a colleague that was a medic. His wife worked for her. She heard the story, and she said, I would defend him for free. For free. What? Why are you doing this? If you see God's grace, give him thanks. She researched the doctors. Copus, 30 seconds was too many minutes or seconds. She spent... Four hours with Dr. Copas researching the reasons why he wanted to have me back. She spent time with Dr. Demopoulos. When we had the meeting with the insurance company, they had a trial. One side was the doctor's and take people for the insurance that wanted to not to deny 
The uh, lawyer, Terry, just says, my wife and I were on the other side. We're having a trial, but we were waiting for Dr. Demopoulos to um, have a phone conversation. He had a surgery, so he didn't have time to come in person. So he was uh, meeting us on the phone transfer, and he was in surgery at the time. So we had to wait for him to change his scrubs, watch up, sit on the phone, and defend me. Well, he spent not 20 minutes, but over 20 minutes, longer than my surgery took. He defended me, and he was so awesome that the other people that were going to debate him said, is there any questions? And no one asked any questions. The defense was so awesome by Dr. Demopoulos Cheaper rehab time, cheaper medical calls, on and on and on. The uh, insurance people said, no questions. A day later, they called me and they say, unofficially, we'll pay your bill. And they said, we can't print it, but we're delighted to pay. Now, on the procedure, they'd use Dr. Demopoulos' way of doing all their things. He changed the scope of fixing PO pulse. But the department, the fourth angel, and we'll finally fourth. I had to win back my job. So I had the surgery. I had the doctor that was for me. Three angels. Oh, by the way, when you have a lawyer that battles with a doctor, the doctors get money for their time. It's like a meter on a taxi. Every second, every minute, the bill goes up. I think Terry said that with Dr. Demopoulos, before the phone conversation, I think she said two hours, four hours with Copas, no cost. They did it for free. The fourth angel was Dave Besty, the captain at Station 2. He asked for me to get me back. The department gave me to station two, and it, they saw my emails that uh, I was writing to the chief and the, to the administration, and he saw that, and he said, don't ever do that. Because my emails, I had to learn again. It was like a Greek schooler writing. He said, you will embarrass yourself. Have me write it. So he did that. He had drills for me, not just mechanical drills, but he had multiple agencies for me to be a medic or for me to work in the fire department. I had to command the scene, not just do 
squirting of the water. I can climb a ladder. I can spray holes. I do, can do IVs. I can do the drugs. But speaking, I had to do Mayday. I had to answer the phone. I had to do patients' exams. I had to command the scene. He tripped me every day, almost every day, for multiple um, uh, drill crew, uh, screws, drill after drill. At night, uh, at lunch, he had me go up and read a boot to uh, my driver. So again, I struggled to speak the words, and he patiently listened to my voice. To to get back, the department wanted me to teach everyone, every firefighter in the department. So they had a drill for me to uh, speak to all the um, crews. So we have nine stations, three platoons. So there's 27 crews that are part of Bellevue. And I had to teach football entries for pads, helmets, when to take them off and when to leap them on, how to move the uh, uh, football entries, uh, sea colors or helmet. I had to teach them how to move the uh, people. John took that uh, class, I believe. It was around uh, 90 minutes to everyone in the department and two ERs. Evergreen and over a lake. I had to teach before I will be allowed in. I did that class, and they accepted me, me back. They formed a line in uh, Station 2 that uh, the officers and the chiefs, like a soccer player, waving uh, uh, their hands, they shook my hand, welcome back to the department. After six months, they had to make a decision and they made it thumbs up. I retired in 2018 uh, at the end of the year, so I worked for almost uh, eight years uh, past that. Three times I had to enter in When you see God's grace, angels, strangers that had no business doing it for free, doing sacrificing their time, money, and effort for my sake, what am I? It was Him. It was Him. And you see God's grace, give in thanks. Finally, I will conclude. There's a section in Luke 7. A contrast between people. I won't have you read it, but a scribe had Jesus eat with him. And when you ate, you laid down on the cassis and ate. It's a long ordeal. And a woman came in, and she was crying and covering his feet with tears and drying it with her hair. 
and kissing his feet and anointing with expensive ointment. I know it may be two occasions. Uh, I know Mary, the um, sister of Lazarus, uh, gave the ointment cost a year's salary for her to pour that ointment for menace, and it's gone. She was there, and the scribe thought, what is this man that he allows this woman, a sinner, to touch him? And Jesus said, I will ask you a question. Are you game? A money lender had a loan for two people. Ten times the amount went to one person and a little bit went to you. Which one will give the most love for appreciation? And he said, well, the one who got more forgiven. And Jesus says, that's right. You didn't wash my feet when I came in the door. But this woman cried. You didn't give me a kiss. But she has not ceased from kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But she took her time and money and point ointment. You are forgiven. To contrast, when you see God's grace, will we give thanks? We'll pray. Father God, you are a sovereign God, the Son of Man, Yahweh, the Lord, Messiah. And you came before people and you gave promises and grace. My prayer today is to have people think of your promises, your grace, your mercy, and give give you thanks. One point, just one point, in the sovereign name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.